Welcome to the Jig Is Up podcast with your hosts, Darcy and Jason. The Jig Is Up is recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, as well as the lands of Treaty 6 Nations. We aim to bring you new perspectives and open up conversations about Métis politics, culture, and current events, as well as stories that affect Indigenous from all over. If you like the show, or you don't, or if you want to send us suggestions for guests or topics to discuss on the show, feel free to email us at metispodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on all of the social media at Métis Podcast. All right, well, welcome to the Jig Is Up. And obviously, this is our first Zoom uh, Jig Is Up, which is awesome. Uh, and over there is Jason. How's it going, buddy? Good. Finally getting with the 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how long Zoom's been around, but apparently it's been around at least for last month because everybody's Zooming everything. Yeah. Well, yeah. Go ahead. That's about time we got with it, eh? Yeah, well, it's perfect. It's uh, it's a great tool for doing podcasts and doing video podcasts, so it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly free. Yeah. And hey, that fits in our budget. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, yeah, no, it's crazy. My daughter's doing uh, martial arts by Zoom these days, so it's kind of weird. But yeah, so that is now the wave of the future. Look, everybody working from home. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think my wife's been doing two or three a day for the last couple of weeks of Zoom meetings, just different groups, different things. So it's been interesting. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Whoever started Zoom is probably very, very happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> that worked out well for them. Yeah, exactly. It's all part of a conspiracy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so let's jump into some Métis stuff. Uh, basically, almost everything to do with Métis right now is about COVID. So I figured we'd touch on a few articles that I have been reading, and I got them up on here on my screen. So I guess the first one is the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan um, uh, says that the federal government, between federal and provincial governments, they're, they're being left in uh, jurisdictional limbo as to who they go to for support and services through these tough times. And which I thought was odd considering the federal government just said they like a month and a half ago announced a seven and a half million dollar injection into the Métis nation of Saskatchewan. So I don't know what that money was for, but, or what they've done with it or if they've even got it yet. I don't even know. I don't know if they've even got it yet. So, but I just thought that was interesting. They're, they're in jurisdictional limbo. Well, and that's what we covered in our last episode was the fact that they did get federal funding money, but like you say, we don't know if they've got it yet or not. But I don't know how, like you, like you're saying, how that works. How, like, how are they in limbo? Are they looking for money from the province as well as the feds, or or did the money go to the MNC and it hasn't come to them, so they're not sure how they're going to get it? It's a very vague statement when we we see clearly that, that they've got money allocated to them. Yeah. Well, I'm just kind of trying to read what their thing is here. Um, uh, having a hard time with my computer all of a sudden for some reason. Mm-hmm. But um, it says that um, just trying to breeze through here. I guess basically simply because both have different health government. You know, both levels of government have different health services, and one's obviously they're jumping back and forth between them, being told, "Oh, go to the federal." No, you go to the provincial for that. 
And I get that. That's, uh, you know, we've made laws about that already in this country. Um, but um, I, it's interesting because like uh, their, their big complaint was there's no, there was no supports, no programs and no supply chain for uh, indigenous communities or for uh, Métis communities in Saskatchewan, um, which I don't doubt. I mean, there probably wasn't, um, but I'm not sure where, like you said, where that seven and a half million goes or where, how does that fit? in being told you're being bounced around, so. Well, and we know for a fact that there's no real good supply chain for anybody, yeah. um, as far as, as personal PPE goes or access to, you know, usual routine services have all been interrupted. So yeah. in a lot of ways, everybody's in the same boat um, that way. I think that the big challenge is, if they've got the money, then they should have been able to acquire some of that PPE or, you know, yeah. get people enrolled in some of the programs and services that they need. It sounds like a lot like they got money and then turned around and went to the province and said, okay, how do we get access to your programs and services? That's, that's kind of what it seems like. Yeah. Now what I, what I kind of find weird is that they're, they're talking about how there's a lack of support. But they're talking about communities, um, and I forgive me if I pronounce these wrong, but like Beauvale, Laloche, Buffalo Narrows, Zeal Lacrosse, and Jans Bay. And David Chartrand saying those are all Metis villages. Now, I don't know if they're saying that because they're Metis villages, everybody in those villages is all Metis by default. But I, I don't know how you can really at this point in time say that's a Métis village, only Métis people live there. So now it's a Métis issue on land that is public domain, so to speak. It's not on a settlement. It's not on a reserve. Um, so you have people living in a, in a traditional Métis village, but are those people all traditional Métis people? You know, it's kind of like, to me, it almost seems like they're brushstroking it with, well, we'll say it this way so that it sounds really bad because that benefits us. And so they're kind of, to me, it almost seems like the Métis nation is flip-flopping. Well, it's like when they flip-flop between being a government or being a nonprofit, whenever it suits their, their needs. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's what we mean is that there's not a lot of clarity in what they're, what they're actually making a statement about. Um, yeah. So they've got money, but they're in the same boat as everybody else um, in every jurisdiction in this country. Yeah. And they're complaining about it, but I, I get that. And I realize that Indigenous communities largely are unique because they're more remote and already on the lowest end of the socioeconomic scale. So, of course, as always, in, you know, good old European economic models, the lowest fallout first. <laughs> so it, it's no no small wonder that many people would feel, you know, the immediate effects of yeah. supply chain collapse, basically. Absolutely, total disruption to normal or you know quasi normal um, yeah. medical access. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's it's interesting as I'm reading through this too. Like, it it really does seem opportunistic in a lot of ways because it seems like they're using it to highlight that there isn't a strong, you know, um, health services kind of mentality towards Métis people. And I would agree because most things on the federal level are, you know, First Nations and Inuit directed. And then the provincial level likes to slide off responsibility to the federal level because you're Indigenous now. 
under the constitution of course you know the daniels case yeah. so and i can get that but it seems like they're using it you know to to highlight that oh well the 30 million that the metis national council got um from the federal government is greatly appreciated is what david chartrand said however now i don't know first off if, if i will in my life ever use a however statement when some, when i say the $30 million you gave me is, is a good start, however. Um, but then he goes on to say how in their 400,000 Métis strong nation, uh, it's showing the vulnerability and, and disadvantage that all those Métis have um, in the deep-seated health conditions for Métis people in Canada. And, like, first of all, we all know the 400,000 is a lie. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm having a hard time seeing um, a lot of what they're saying here as happening. Um, I'm sure it does happen, but I just don't, first of all, it's not to 400,000 Métis. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that right there is a lie. So, <laughs> Well, and I, I think what's challenging, there's, there's, there's a big distinction, I think, in this regard. Um, because Métis people don't live on reserve, um, mm -hmm. The, the healthcare challenges that most Métis people face are because of their socioeconomic standing or probably because of our ethnicity um, and racial profiling within the medical system. But because we don't have status cards, we're not First Nations, we're accessing the public healthcare system like any average Canadian. Um, mm -hmm. So, and we have access to the healthcare system like every average Canadian. So other than remote communities and people who are more isolated, who obviously have problems and the racial profiling that goes on within the medical system, Métis people are probably suffering, you know, by and large, the same as most Canadians. Yes. Yeah, and, absolutely. And yet here we have a, uh, an organization that receives special funds for their membership role uh, to improve or, or shore up some of these shortcomings. And that's something that if you look, um, you know, an average Canadian who has average access to their healthcare system simply doesn't get. So yeah. in, in one way, the Métis people should be faring somewhat better if these organizations were properly administrating their funds. Yes. Well, and it is interesting too, because uh, one of the things obviously that David Chartrand and Clem Chartier and all those, these organizations love is to make themselves bigger because then they can get more funding and, and justify more expenses. And sure enough, one of the things he's calling for is a, a Treaty 10 pandemic council, which would obviously include Métis leaders and First Nations chiefs and municipal mayors, which in and of itself is not necessarily a bad idea. However, it's hard to take it from these cartels and their leaders, so-called leaders, um, when they already lie about their own numbers to make it sound better in the in the press, but they're just asking for a, more meetings to f do what? Because we have a pandemic every every couple of years. Like this is like doing flood mitigation on a thousand year floodplain. <laughs> like it, 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 yes, it would be really good for that one time it happens, but you know, I wasn't alive when the Spanish flu was here previously, so you know this isn't like a this is kind of a once in a lifetime thing. So what would a treaty 10 pandemic council do at this point any differently than what's being already done? It's too short notice to do anything significant right now for this pandemic anyway. 
Well, and again, it's at the bottom end. So reserves and band councils and, mm-hmm. you know, Métis communities and if you, if you incorporate, you know, municipalities, um, these, all of these communities are at the whim of the provincial and federal government. So if you're talking PPE, access to medical staff, medical care, all these kinds of things right now are being regulated at the provincial and federal level. Of yeah. when they're open, who has access, how many people can go, what phase mm-hmm. are they going to be open, and are all beyond the control of everyone who would be at this proposed meeting. So yeah. what would it really be, you know, what, what is the advantage to it? Well, that's just it, and I mean, all the people that would be there are, I'm assuming, are kind of busy running their, you know, leading and doing the things they need to do to keep their people safe at right now. Um, so this whole, this whole COVID thing, I think for everybody, what is kind of like a hot potato, you just go and try to put the fires out wherever they are at any given moment in the day. So it's not like right now, Oh, let's start another planning committee and obviously have to get a whole bunch of funding from the federal government to pay all those people to go to those meetings. And by the time you get all that organized, we're going to be into the third or fourth wave of the pandemic and it's going to start to diminish anyway. So it's kind of like, like, what's the point of this? And honestly, I just see it as another way that they've been able to capitalize on the situation to make themselves bigger and require more funding and thus be able to go to the government and justify more funding using this pandemic as an example. Or, well, of course, you got more travel. You know, yes. you got more, more meetings, more hotels, Absolutely. more, more uh, consultations, which is what's, you know, how, when we, you know, continually go over their budget that's probably their single biggest line item. Absolutely. Why wouldn't you want to keep that, uh, you know, in a a place where you're locked down and can't go to these meetings and you can't travel. This is an excellent opportunity to add another uh, tour onto your bus's, you know, agenda for the summer. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, um, well, this kind of leads into what I wanted to really talk about today, which was Métis leadership in general in these cartel organizations. And, you know, we've talked about it in, in previous episodes kind of a little bit, but I really wanted to delve into it because I want to, you know, we talked about before how these leaders, like you look at the prime minister and the premiers and even mayors are starting to give, you know, they've always been given daily, if not every other day, kind of updates in their communities, in their provinces, in the country. But the cartel has been absent from this whole thing. So then when, we, when we're talking about meetings and the budgets and all this, well, we're on this wonderful tool called Zoom. And I know that I know people who've been on Zoom meetings with 20, 30, 40 people. And they're all in the screen. You can see all their pictures on the screen. It's, it's an amazing tool. And how far did you have to travel today, Jason? <laughs> you went from your Pretty kitchen far. to your I couch. <laughs> I got to the coffee machine. I came yeah. downstairs. It's pretty rough, I have to right? tell you. It obviously not not really able to justify perhaps a million to two million dollar travel budget for getting a coffee and going downstairs. Well, it's a lot and, of steps though, so you're charging <laughs> by the step. Yeah. So and this is this is what I mean. Like, so are these because they are they adv- and accepting technology like Zoom? Are we going to see a, a considerable downgrade in those expenses in the coming years because we have technology like this now, or? Are we going to continue to see that? And by that, I mean, does that mean that they're not doing anything right now? They're not communicating with each other. 
because they can't travel around and have meetings and spend huge gobs of money. So either they're meeting and using tools to keep the budget low and they're fluffing up their numbers somehow, or they refuse to meet with each other unless they can charge extraordinary amounts of cash to the travel budget, which means they're doing nothing right now. And, you know, I've been scouring like the Métis Nation of Alberta's pages and, and they've got like these platitudes, like here's our COVID response. I even went to their YouTube channel, which I didn't even realize they had. And there's a couple of videos there, you know, talking about COVID. Um, and I think the most views on the one was 800, a little over 800, it was like 812 views. So that's just the Métis Nation of Alberta. So, I mean, you have a leader who's in a pandemic who does like, I think two, two COVID addresses now. And it's basically just an update on their programs and services and funding. It's not like, here's, you know, let's talk about some of the issues made here. No, no, it's just, here's our, here's our next plan. Um, and so where are these leaders? Like, they're not leading. Mm-hmm. They're curiously absent from anything and everything right now. Sorry, that was my little rant. <laughs> well, I think, though, that it's, you know, if you want to talk about leadership, it's something we talked about a lot, but I think it's something that Métis people themselves, I think, are up in the air about is defining in a, in a modern age, what does it mean to be a Métis leader? Yeah. You know what? And I think that's sort of a real problem that we have is we believe, on one hand, we believe Métis people believe in democracy. That's the, the way the cartel's been set up. Is a quasi-democratic society within the constraints of society's act as best you can. So you're making the best of the, a bad situation. I understand that. But even if you want to put it in a positive light. But just because you're Métis and you run for elected office, does that make you a leader for Métis people? Have we so adopted the colonial mindset of leadership that it doesn't really matter who you are, where you're from, you know, as long as you're Métis, you can be the leader. But mm-hmm. we see how that plays out in colonial politics. It's, it's not well. Um, and so what is it to be a leader? We look at people like Harry Daniels. We look at, uh, you know, the Paulies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at just about every person who's Métis that got something forth. They did it on their own. And then these organizations come along later and either oppose them or support them. But what does it mean to be a leader for Métis people? Um, and I think that's a real question because we, we have academics who are for, you know, an inclusive Métis identity. We have other academics who are non-Indigenous who are not. And so we have this flip-flop of, of leadership. And mm. I, we live in a day and an age where I, I think, unfortunately, technology is both for us and against us. Um, we have elected leaders right now who take no advantage of technology. And don't even act like a leader. So like you said, they come out, they, they, you know, we have colonial leaders coming out, giving speeches, keeping us updated from just about every level, level from the municipal to, to the federal. And where are Métis people? Left in the dark. We have no idea what these multi-million dollar funded organizations are doing. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, we have Métis people who I feel are leaders uh, who are are at the forefront of, of Métis issues who receive no or little support mm-hmm. in trying to make a difference because they're not in the institution, they're not an elected official. Yeah, And so we have this real dichotomy in the Métis mind where I think we still are 
largely have one foot in two canoes. We want the colonial structure and the security of a free and elected democratic leadership. But at the same time, we want traditional indigenous values in those in that leadership. And I'm not sure that's working for us as a people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it to me, it's always been very confusing why you know Métis people would want another level of government within all of these levels of government anyway. Um, like I can understand having a leadership in these, these organizations on a cultural level to build cultural strength, to, you know, organize events, organize programs that build on the culture and the language and, and the history. So I totally would get that. But as far as these organizations goes, they're, they're basically lobby groups that are trying to convince everybody that they're a government. But, when it comes to things like, you know, any, any program or any service, it all gets funded through them from the Canadian government. So you're putting, so the Canadian government, when we look at how the money flows, all it is is roadblocks along the way before it gets to anybody that would actually benefit. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I would call that leadership along that whole chain of, of middlemen. I mean, you know, you have the government announces a billion dollars for something for Métis. Well, that gets severely restricted down to about a half of that um, by the time it even leaves Indian Affairs or whatever they're called now um, because they take a certain chunk for administration and then it goes to the MNC or however they divvy it out, but it just gets chunked out into these administrations. Well, what are they leading then? Are they, well, how are they leading anything? Like the, to me, they're just administrative bodies more than anything. And you have like a manager at the, at the administrative body who makes sure all the employees show up for work that day or whatever, you know what I mean? In normal times, but you know, so to me, leadership is somebody who stands up when it's, when things are tough and, and shows that leadership, like, here's how we're going to get through it. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and, and follows through with that. Whereas right now I feel like we have admin, a bunch of administrative people administrating funds and that's really about it well but it brings up a very good question of what should be the value system of a metis organization and Mm -hmm. and that's really what it's about because if your value system isn't correct if you have if you have an organization that has a bogus value system well then what what kind of leadership are you going to get and i think that's the real challenge these organizations don't have a, a real indigenous mandate because if they did, the only thing we'd be talking about all the time is where's the land? Yes. But where's the Métis land? Absolutely. And yet that is, that is, it's crickets. We haven't had uh, a Métis leader inside the cartel stand up and talk about land on any level of discussion at all. It's always about the continued uh, hype, about the money that they're getting, and the money is mm-hmm. simply for programs and services. So even the cartel, which says it's the only true Métis nation, it's the only one that really qualifies for Section 35, they only ever talk about their programs and services. Yes. But, but, but that's not how that's supposed to work. Section 35 of the Constitution is for Métis lands and sovereignty issues. But we yes. don't ever hear the cartel talk about Métis sovereignty, Métis lands, Métis title as it exists outside and separate from the crown. Mm-hmm. And so really what is 
the Métis Nation other than an organization that's like several other government organizations that administrates programs and services for a selected segment of the population. Yeah. So is it any wonder then when we have people at the heads of these organizations that those are who we have? Because that's the mandate of these organizations. If we're going to be really honest, the Métis Nation of Alberta is not after land. Yeah. They're not after anything that would be resemblant of a Section 35 right. They're completely operating under the 9124, which is programs and services. Yes. So well, what are we, these leaders really doing? That's the question I have. What are they really doing? If yeah. they're Métis, they represent uh, Métis people, even if only their, their membership, then what is the function and the value system of these organizations? Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, you've seen here in Alberta and, and in other ones, I mean, the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan shut down for a few years because of infighting. Um, they're still having issues there. The Métis Nation of Alberta, um, I mean, they haven't had a judiciary for years. And even at the last general council, it was voted, yes, we need to reinstate it. It's not reinstated. They don't care. They're not putting effort to it. And this is what leaders would do. Even when it's tough, even when it might make you a little bit more uncomfortable. So if you're Madame President and you had issues that were before the judiciary when you dismissed them all, it might be difficult or uncomfortable, but you have to start doing what your people want you to do. And you have to start working for the people. Because it's like you said, all we ever hear about is funding announcements and funding agreements. And even these nation-to-nation negotiations that they do, they're not for cultural means. They're for funding for programs and services, which is fine, which is great. But like you said, let's, let's define what these organizations are so we know what kind of leader we need and what, what kind of leader we have. Because ultimately, that's what they're doing. They're admi- they are, like you said, they're a government organization that administers programs and services. And they're administering programs and services for an administration that administers the programs and services for the government. <laughs> so you've got an extra level of government services being offered or administered. Well, I don't even think it's extra. We, we have government organizations. You look at McMahon. You look at yeah. EI. You look at, at uh, you know, uh, there's several programs to help works or train or educate uh, yep. certain segments of the population. So we have these programs already there. We have these agencies already there for different segments of the Canadian population. And for the Métis people, that's really all these organizations are. True. So the MNC and the MNA really are no different than yeah. a McMahon service or an EI employment service or a job training program service. That's really all they are. Even yeah. if you look at in Alberta, the MNA has a housing division that was funded, you know, it's the same, same deal. Mm-hmm. It is a, a level of bureaucratic service within the Canadian framework. Yeah. So I don't understand when we're saying leaders of the Métis people, how a bureaucrat administrating programs, funds, and services allocated by the governments to the Métis people specifically, how that constitutes leadership. Absolutely. We're not fighting for anything that would make the Métis people an actual, real, uh, you know, nation. Yeah. 
if we don't have land, if there's not land on the table, how can you be a nation? If you don't have actual physical dirt to stand on that is Métis dirt, then how are you a nation? Yeah. That's the real problem. And that's not on the table. It's not in a discussion. It's not on a, you know, no one's talking about it at any level. So then really what is, what is the Métis value system in 2020? It is are we no longer as Métis people concerned about land because everybody owns or lives somewhere where there's a house or, you know, whatever. We, just, yeah. we don't really care anymore. You know, yeah. I, I don't know because it doesn't come up and people aren't, aren't talking about it. People aren't uh, uh, upset about it. People aren't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't go on social media all the time and we hear the defense of the definition of who's Métis. That's great. You want to, you know, continue the, the politics of Métis identity is great, but yeah. When do we talk about what is really of any value? And that's where is our rights as a, as a nation of Métis people outside of the Canadian framework, which is what Section 35 is. Yes. Well, that's just it. And I mean, you know, you look at these organizations and even when it comes to funding, um, like they were given a bunch of money for this COVID and it's, they don't, they're keeping it all, even though it was meant for all Métis in Alberta. And the MA was just going to administer it. Well, they've made it very clear that you have to prove that you're a Metis Nation citizen, that your kids are Metis Nation eligible, that you're, you know, I think there's just all these qualifying factors, which we've talked about previously. But there's communities who've broken away from the Metis Nation and they're left out in the dark now because the government's saying, no, those guys administer it. And they're saying, well, if you're not a member, you don't get it. So, Again, they, they're playing this double-edged game where they're, they're a government for all Métis people. But we're only going to provide programs and services for a select few of those Métis people. Because if you don't have our card and you can't qualify it and requalify it and requalify it every time we want you to, then you don't get any help, you don't get any money, you don't get any services, you don't get access to this stuff. So it's not for all Métis people. It's only for our members. So then now you're playing the member game but you said you're a government and you're getting funding from of taxpayer money from the federal government to be a government and act like one, but you're not. And again, I think this boils down to leadership. They know that once the money's in their bank account, they're a nonprofit corporation. But when the money's not in their government in their bank account, they're a government <laughs> and should be funded equal as much. And so um, it's interesting that you have Métis people who simply handed back their Métis nation card. That doesn't change that they're Métis. That doesn't change that the Métis Nation recognized them the previous week as Métis, but they will no longer get services now. And then we go to Saskatchewan and you hear these leaders like David Chartrand complaining that they're left in limbo. But you're doing it to your own people. You're, you're screwing Métis people because they didn't take the time and energy and money and effort to get your card. And so now you're playing the membership game. And and to me, again, we, it boils down to leadership. Like, what are these leaders really doing for Métis people? Not just their members, but Métis people. Mm-hmm. And you fall back on, well, but their responsibility is to their members. Well, then they're a nonprofit corporation. Just like downtown Calgary, the CEOs of all those oil companies, their responsibility is to the corporation, not the employees. Yeah. And therefore, when it's layoff time... 
you're all expendable because profits are what matter. But it's the yeah. same thing with the nonprofit corporations. It's about what's best for the corporation and the, the members are simply there to help the corporation. So, and that's not, that's not leadership, you know? Well, it's leadership in administrating an organization, yeah. but it is not leadership in saying, how are you leading a people? And yeah. those are all very different things. Um, and again, but you, you raise an interesting issue and it's something else that, that we've talked about off air. And that, that is the people who hand in their cards. They're dissatisfied with the way the organizations are going. They're, you know, unsatisfied at some point. The problem we have is uh, you have the right to do that. And I don't think it's wrong. But yet, when you do that, we have no alternative. Um, it really is a one-horse race. In, in Alberta and in most of Canada, there's not a a universally strong oppositional organization to get involved in on provincial mm -hmm. levels, or even let's be honest, federal levels. There's some federal level organizations out there, but they don't command the unity. And I think this is a big problem within Métis communities is that we can't find a cohesive alternative. Um, if we believe in the democratic process that the colonial structures has given us, we, if you're looking at the Métis Nation of Alberta, it's really a single party. Yeah. So we have a, a government where we have one party, and that's in Alberta, the MNA. So where's the alternative party? Mm -hmm. Where's the opposition to that party? Uh, in, a, in a real democratic society, if that's how the Métis wanted to work it, where is that? And we can't seem to find any cohesiveness for people who are dissatisfied. Yeah. And so we simply label them, you know, then we're free to call them if you're inside the cartel, you're free to say, well, then they're not Métis mm -hmm. because they don't have your farm. But yeah. we know that's not true. <clears throat> but the problem is, is we can't add any weight to that discussion because again, it boils down to this conversation of what does it truly mean to be a leader of in the Métis communities in 2020? Yeah. Are, are we administrators of programs and services on behest of the federal government? Are we, is there anybody left in Métis communities who are really pushing for universal Section 35 Métis rights in this country? Do we have mm -hmm. anybody left? And even if we did, who's going to support them? We, we seem so fractured and so dispersed, and everybody seems to want to get a, a label and a, a big job at the top. And, and uh, so we'll fight and stab each other to be that person who is the leader. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's just it. And, and you know, I, I honestly, in a lot of ways, you know, we've talked to him. I don't know if we've talked, I'm sure we've talked about it here, but uh, about how when you have, even in the federal or provincial systems that we have, um, once the, you know, you have this idea that once you change the government's color, so from blue to red or red to blue or orange, whatever, that somehow you're going to get a drastically different government. And and that just simply isn't the case, right? We've talked about that lots, either off air or even on here. Um, and so it's like that in, in these cartel organizations. Okay, so let's say Audrey retired tomorrow and somebody else takes over that position. Is it going to drastically change the m &A? Because you have to change bylaws. In order to change bylaws, you have to have blah. And so they've, they've put all these things in place to ensure that the structure is really hard to change. And it's, it's even really hard to get to that president's position without having to go through and be indoctrinated and soaked in 
the bureaucracy of it all. And then after a long time of that, then you can be eligible for this president position. So, so it's, 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 is it even realistic to say that anybody that goes through that process would be able to simply walk in and just start making changes? I don't think they would. I, I think change would be possible over another 20 year period, but you just simply, I mean, there's a lot of those bylaws that you would have to simply eradicate in order to actually start making real drastic changes. And that takes a lot just to ratify. Right. So, uh, and especially without a judiciary, things like that, like it's, it's just once you're in that position, why would you change the position that you personally benefit from now? Yeah. And that makes sense. And then you add on the other layer, and that is that the federal government has its fingers in that pie with you. Yes. You know, you're you're only going to be able to change that organization as a program and service provider uh, as far as the federal government will let you because all your funding comes from them. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's a. be able to do a lot. It's a twisted, twisted thing. And I, I just, I what I guess what I really want for people, though, is to just start to, to look at the leadership that is in their province and in their communities and really think about, okay, well, what do I want? What would I want as a, you know, for a leader, what would I think a leader should do? Or even what, if I was in that position, how would I get the message out there that, you know, we're taking care of Métis people. How would I communicate that with people? How would I do things different? And then start expecting that from the leaders that are there. And you know, I, I always use air quotes when I talk about these leaders because I don't feel like they are leaders. I feel like, like you said earlier, they're just, they're like leaders of an administrative service, but that doesn't make them cultural or governmental or national leaders. Um, I mean, they can't even get along with each other, let alone anybody else. But so it just kind of, again, shows the leadership, lack of leadership. And so even moving forward in the COVID thing or anything else, I think people should really be scrutinizing these leaders and all of the leadership, not just the presidents, but all the, everybody involved and saying, what are you guys really doing right now? That, that me as a, as a Métis nation citizen feels so much better about how we're handling this COVID thing or how we're handling the next, you know, thing, the, the murder hornets or how we're handling the shortage of toilet paper. I don't know whatever 2020 has in store for us still, but, like, where are these leaders and what are they, what are they communicating? You know, that's my hope anyway. Well, I think that that goes to about the value system of Métis people in general. Um, is it still a priority for Métis people to have authentic uh, leadership? Um, yeah. Or are we just content to sit back um, and, and ride out whatever the funding these organizations can get and, and dribble and drab our way? Yeah. Um, because we don't see a lot of people who are discontented simply give up their cards and walk away. They're not involved in any other alternatives. They're not spearheading or supporting with great, you know, gusto any other form of organization or community leadership at all. So people get disgruntled with what's going on and they simply just walk away. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the Métis people themselves want. We see and hear certain segments, there's big discussions over who is and isn't Métis, but the greater discussions that should be having had is, you know, our rights and our mm-hmm. our sovereignty and, and these kinds of issues. 
and we seem very fractured, very strewn all over the place, and we're more concerned about waving a flag and who gets to wear what sash and than we are uh, our collective rights. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe that's not an issue for Métis people anymore. Maybe it's not. Um, and I, I'm with you, though. I hope that they start to, to question this. And, you know, even just talking about having no um, opposition party. Like, why, why do we have this fake democracy for Métis people where there's no party system, there's no checks and balances on anybody's power and authority? I mean, like, like you've said many times over many episodes like we, we, we need to have that accountability. If we're going to be a democracy or a government, well, we should at least have a governmental system in place. And this is something they can do right now. I mean, you can structure the nonprofit however you want, as long as you tell the government, this is how we're going to do it. Um, they have very few checks and balances on how you structure a nonprofit. There's, you know, maybe a dozen things that they need you to make sure you do in your bylaws. Other than that, they don't care how you do it. So they could do these things now. They, they have been consulting to have a constitution for decades now. But that's the thing is they don't, they don't actually go about doing it because it's not in their best interest. And unfortunately, it would be in the best interest of Métis people, even if it was just their members that benefited from an actually democratic system that they, if they put that in place. But, but they're leaders and they don't because they personally benefit from it, from it not being or from it being the way it is, not being the ideal way. Well, and, and I think that's something, and I, I'm, I'm surprised that it hasn't come up more. I'm surprised it doesn't take up more space in Métis discussions. It's not a, yeah. a wider issue. Yeah. Uh, we constantly see crickets. Um, if you're looking at Métis people, there's things that go on on the community level, mm -hmm. and there's things that go on provincially and federally. And in between there, there's nothing. Yeah. So what's happening at the community level with Métis people very rarely transcends to the provincial level yeah. and definitely almost never moves from the provincial level over to the federal. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's always, always the top down. It's always what happens at the federal level trickles to the provincial level and might trickle down to the community level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I think that's, I, that's all I really wanted to talk about there as far as um, the government goes. I did want to give one shout out though, and I think you're, you're going to kick out of this, Jason. Um, I just discovered uh, a podcast from Métis Youth, and it's, it's a Métis Nation of Alberta Youth Initiative. And the podcast is called Keeping It Real. Which is actually one of the names we batted around for this podcast when we first started it. Um, but anyways, they're supposed to have an episode out every Monday. And it's uh, some Métis youth. I don't know what their ages are. I'm assuming they're teenagers because they're doing podcasts. Um, so for anybody out there who might be interested, I would say, hey, check out their this new podcast. I think they have one episode out. And it's it's a short episode. It's like an intro to their podcast and what they're going to hopefully do with it. So. Um, hey, it's a youth podcast, so I very much encourage that. I think the youth is where we need to find the voices coming forward. And so um, even though it's you know cartel-driven, I would very much encourage people to check out their podcast on iTunes. I think it's, I don't know where else it is. I know it's on iTunes right now, and it's called Keeping It Real. And uh, 
yeah, that's my last thing. That's so uh, I'm going to actually listen to that as soon as I'm done here. Good. I'm, I'm happy. I, I think, um, the more Métis voices we can get out there across the country, the more people who start doing, you know, something similar to what we're doing with their own take on it. I don't, you know, we have uh, a new Métis podcast uh, out east. So, yes, that's right. Uh, I think it's great. You know, we got uh, the radio show in uh, Vancouver. Yep. So I think it's I think it's good. The more that we can get them people talking. Uh, the more people are willing to put forward their perspectives and their positions, hopefully we can, I think, re-energize and uh, invigorate the discussion about all things Métis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, it, it's there's a huge opportunity in the whole podcast world. I know there's like um, 700,000 podcasts out there, but that doesn't mean there's 700,000 successful podcasts and certainly not a lot of money in podcasting. But it is a great way to get your message out, get your voice heard. And especially for youth, um, it's, a, it's actually quite an easy way to, to start sharing things. And especially now with Zoom, um, you know, for, for a couple of guys like us, I mean, for youth, this is technology is no brainer. So I, I really would encourage any Indigenous youth to get out there and start podcasting, doing YouTube channel stuff. Like, um, I know there's a huge movement on TikTok right now, which I am not in that world but my daughter keeps telling me i should be <laughs> so but anyways i do uh, i do definitely would encourage uh youth to get out there and and um even reach out to us metipodcast at gmail.com if you want to know more about how to podcast or what podcasting really means or does or is or how much money you can't make on it um any anything you need um as far as that goes i'm you know we're willing to kind of offer advice or, or help to any indigenous youth looking to podcast. So I think that would be something phenomenal seeing them. I'm really happy to see that the Métis nation of Alberta has finally got a program for youth to get their voice out. Um, so whoever created this podcast, uh, good on you. And I hope that it really works out well. Um, and maybe who knows, maybe we can even have them on this show. Oh, that would be good. <laughs> I just thought of that right now. Maybe we'll have them as guests. <laughs> fingers crossed that's right well jay i hope you stay warm and dry up there it was snowing here yesterday and i know it snowed up there a couple of days ago but uh hopefully we're into spring now that it's me <laughs> hopefully i got some yard work i want to get done and then uh the sunshine is calling my name today so hopefully it's, it's uh, looks like it's gonna be a nice one so right on well guys until next time the jig is up